Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Alright, honor for the written word was what we discussed last week. This teaching is built in such a way that every part helps you understand the next part. It's important for you to you know get every part for your full understanding of this hallelujah all right so let's get right into it how to study the bible part two and i mean there's no particular theme for this this you can also call it bible hermeneutics so how to study the bible how to interpret the bible or bible hermeneutics and i told you last week that hermeneutics is um hermeneutics is a study of, of how to interpret the bible hallelujah and this is the second part of that teaching series, and it's very important that you don't miss it, like I said. So, my goal in this teaching series is to train you effectively on how to study and interpret the Bible. You know, we spoke about diligence last week, diligence, the kind of diligence that you give to the study of God's Word. We spoke about the kind of effort you need to put to the understanding of His Word, and how you need to strive for proper and for right interpretation. You see, I spoke about interpretation being subjective last week, but subjective in the sense of being subjective to the author, but objective when it comes to your own ideas. How many of you understand what I'm trying to say? So, interpretation is subjective in the sense that we have to strive to discover what the author intended but when it comes to reading it we have to be objective not to put in your own ideas i spoke about two uh, methods and two ideas when it comes to interpretation who remembers them i spoke about exegesis and i spoke about exegesis where exegesis is reading out of scripture reading out of scripture and exegesis is reading into scriptures in exegesis you read you know, scriptures without trying to put in your ideas or thoughts. You carefully and objectively discern what is written. And while in exegesis, we, we see people who come with their conclusions, with their mental models or pre- preconceived ideas, you know, to reading scriptures. And I gave an, I gave an example where I said, if a person writes six on the floor, you who is coming sees the number six and you... You know, who is coming from the other side sees what? The number nine. And I asked the question, what was actually written? And a few people said nine, a few people said six. But what did we conclude? That it cannot be what the person who wrote it never intended it to be. And so you ask the person who wrote it and try to discover what he wrote. And so what he wrote was six. Praise Jesus. And this is important. Because many of you have heard at different times, that, oh, what you're saying, it depends on your perspective. When it comes to the Bible, it does not depend on your perspective. Hallelujah. Your perspective doesn't matter when it comes to biblical interpretation. Are you all with me? We have to come to a place where we can diligently, through the study of God's word, exegetically explain text of scriptures. Exegetically is not a big word. I just It's just coined out of exegesis. And exegesis is what? Reading out of scriptures. Is that very clear? So, putting in all diligence to exegetically explain scriptures. 
We concluded last week that you cannot master anything that you've not intentionally learned. Where I told someone to read A to Z, and I told the person to, to read Z back to A, and you know, it was NA, and I wasn't able to read Z back to A, and that's because she has not intentionally mastered that. Alright, so as I was saying, you need to exegetically explain scriptures. So you hear people saying that this is the interpretation I got from this chapter. And another person says, this is the revelation that God gave me. Have you heard people talk like that before? They say, that's my personal revelation. It's me and my God. I know the God I serve. You know. Or you, you see people say that, I read this scripture and I got a deeper revelation from it. Or you see someone say that, when I read this scripture, I saw a mystery. This thing, nobody has seen it before. Have, have you heard people talk like that? Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, me, I mean, I grew up hearing things like this. I grew up even, not even grew up. When I got to the university, you know, I, I, this was what I was <laughs> I was taking into. You know, so it, it's a popular thing that I've heard. But what does the Bible say? Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, study to show yourself approved. It says, a workman that needed not to be ashamed Rightly dividing what? The word of truth. And I said on Thursday that study here is not reading alone, but is what? Is reading and other things. You see, the Greek word there is what? Spudazo. S-P-O-U-D-A-Z-O. Spudazo. And it means to give diligence. It means to give all diligence, to make efforts, to be earnest. To show yourself approved. You see, when he says study to show yourself approved, give diligence to show yourself approved, it shows a standard. And I explained that last week. That if there is something to show you approved, then there's a standard, there's a mark to cross. Where we now say you are approved. So he says a workman, a laborer. Are you with me? A laborer. Interpreting the Bible is something that would require diligence on your part. You have to labor. You have to make haste. You have to be intentional. I spoke about the fact that you've given diligence to many other things that are less important in your life. Some people give diligence to, 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 to things that are far or, or, or far less value and they cannot give the same diligence. I spoke about things like, you know, people who... When you want to pick a hospital, you don't pick the hospital based on based on um, feelings. I feel like I should just go to the one close to my house. You go to specialist hospitals for special cases. That's diligence. You are making diligence. Some of you go as far as searching for the best doctor. But you are not going as far as searching for the right interpretation when it comes to scripture. Something is wrong. You don't choose schools... By perspective, you, you choose them by facts. Then why then do you choose church by perspective just because the outside looks good? Are you with me? And I explained all of this last week. I said if you will study and understand the Bible, you have to be diligent. You have to value proper and exegetical exposition of the Bible. If a text of scripture is used, you need to value it being explained properly. Show me why. Why did you come to this conclusion? 
Why are you thinking this, this is this? By what? By, by whose idea are you saying this is this? You need to question this. Many of us, many of the things we've come to interpret as scriptures, we have done it because we've heard people say it. And we've not taken the time to diligently study and confirm if it's true. So you must be a workman in the word of God. When people see your spiritual life and see the discipline you have, they should be able to discern your diligence as a workman. Let's see you and know how much you strive to, to rightly divide, to cut straight. I told you rightly divide means to cut straight. If there's a right way, then there's a wrong way. A workman properly distributing. Are you with me? And this is important. Let's be able to discern this. When we hear you speak of a scripture, when you explain it, let's hear you explain it. Let's hear you use other scriptures to back up your point. Let's hear you use, use context to back up your point. And all of that we are going to learn in this teaching series. Praise Jesus. Amen. Listen guys, this cannot be overemphasized. Especially in an age where everyone is looking for their own private interpretation. This cannot be overemphasized. You see, one thing I wanted to say last week was how that very, very early, you know, many years back, I was thinking, and I was like, why do we have so many denominations? You know, I asked that question last week, right? Why do we have so many denominations? You see, I'm not going to mention names, but it is because of things like this. People want to have private interpretation of things. We explained last week that there is one doctrine that is some doctrine, talking about the unity of the faith, the message of Christ transferred from Jesus Christ to the apostles, which we are also supposed to learn. But then why is that not the popular thing? It is because of this problem. So someone reads the Bible and reads the Old Testament. And in reading the Old Testament, he gets to a place. And the Bible says, that Moses walked into a particular place and saw a bush that was burning but was not consumed. And a voice came out to him and said, Remove your sandals. You are on what? You are on holy ground. And then someone decides to take that part of scripture, expound on it alone without considering other parts of scripture, and now there's a whole doctrine of coming to church without wearing slippers. That is why there's a problem. Are you with me? That's why there's a problem. You see, when you look at the different names that we even give the different denominations, you see a problem. You see, so a particular sect called themselves the, the, the Pentecostal movement. And question is this. Did Pentecost really happen? Yes. Are there any doubts to it? There shouldn't be because the Bible records it. Are we all not supposed to believe in the Pentecostal movement? Yes, we are supposed to be. So why is there a separation called the Pentecostal movement? Orthodoxy. The churches we call the Orthodox churches. What does it mean to be Orthodox? To be Orthodox, like I explained last week, is to be following the traditions of the early church. When it comes to the preserved message, are we supposed to be following the traditions of the early church? Yes. 
Oh yes, that is what we should be preaching. What Christ taught to the apostles and the apostles taught to the church. Was the early church charismatic? Yes, they were charismatic. Why are the orthodox churches today not charismatic? Did the early church speak in tongues? Yes. If you are truly orthodox, will you speak in tongues? Yes. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So you see people pick out a part of scripture that suits them, expound on, on it, and, and, and neglect every other part of scripture. I didn't plan to say that, but it's important for you to see that that's what is happening. And so 2 Timothy, as we're reading, says, Study, be diligent to show yourself approved. A workman rightly dividing the word of truth. This single scripture, a text of scripture rather, you know, explains totally to us the concept of proper hermeneutics. The concept of properly seeking the truth and rightly dividing. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And so after last week that I gave you two important approaches, today I'm going to talk about a few school of thoughts we have when it comes to Bible interpretation. Last week we spoke about exegesis, exegesis. This week I'll speak on certain school of thoughts or approaches that people have when it comes to interpreting the Bible. And I'll just highlight a few that are very relevant to us and that we see every day. Um, I mean, you can call this section um, approaches, approaches people have had to um, hermeneutics or approaches people have had to biblical interpretation or school of thoughts under hermeneutics. All right. Or um, methods of interpretation under hermeneutics. So the first interpretation or school of thought I'm going to talk about is the moral interpretation of the Bible. What did I call it? The moral interpretation of the Bible. You see, people who fall under this category of the moral interpretation of the Bible hinge their arguments on Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Where the Bible says, for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of scripture might have what? Hope. Open Romans 15 and verse 4. So, they hold on to this and have interpreted this to mean that all of scripture is for their learning and how to apply it in their everyday life. You see, so people in this school of thought Try to learn morally from the Bible always. An example of what they do is this. While reading the miracle of feeding the 5,000, what they would do is that they would totally ignore the supernatural activity that happened there. So rather than seeing that as the miracle of multiplying food, they would interpret it as a non-supernatural miracle of sharing. <laughs> Are you with me? So for them, what they are looking for in this story is the moral lesson. So they ignore the supernatural and then they tell you that when we all share in little, we find that collectively we have enough to share for everyone. Isn't that a good moral lesson? When you eat together, you find that everybody eats together. Everybody eats and benefits. Well, was that what that, that particular text of scripture was showing us? No. 
Are you with me? So people in this try to find out the moral, you know, part of it. I think the devotional school of thought kind of falls under here a little bit. And so you see people, you know, I'll give you another example of how people in this school of thought think. So you see the scripture where in, in Mark chapter 5 and verse 44, where he says, um, Talita kum, right? Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. You see, in Mark 5, 40, 41, it says, Then he took the child by hand and said to her, Talita kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Let me tell you what people in the moral school of thoughts will do. Or what they've even done. You see, people in moral school of thought can take this kind of scripture and use it to champion a feminism move. To say, little girl, that is women who are suppressed, rise up. Are you with me? So, it sounds funny to you. Yes, sir. But in one way or the other, some of you have done it before. <laughs> some, not all. Some. It sounds funny to you, but some people around you are doing it. So, if, if this doesn't apply to you, I'll tell you what applies to you. Some of you have used the Bible to teach chemistry before. Some of you have tried to use the Bible to teach um, business class before. You see, I went for one interview. Oh my God. Jesus. I don't know why I carried my leg to that place. That day. Disha sent me an interview and said, Come, we, someone recommended you for a job. I was like, who rec I, So I called. Because I don't jump up and down. I called. I said, who, who recommended me? They said, when you come, you will know. Who recommended me? They said, when you come. I said, what? Okay, no wahala. So, I just wanted to go out that day. So, I'm like, okay, let me just check it out. It won't hurt to check it out. So, I got there. Oh, my God. He was, I was like, what are we? Is this, is this church? Or is this, a, an interview? is this an interview? Because I didn't get it. Every single thing that they try to say, they try to look for a scripture and squeeze it in to back up the point. Are you with me? So either they take it out of context or in context, they just put it and take it in and back it up. You know, they, it was just simply motivational speaking. You would you see this popularly around people who, who like to motivate and use scriptures also. So I'll give you another example of what they use. So rather than seeing the brazen serpent as talking about Christ who is going to save them when they look to the brazen serpent, you know what people in the moral school of thought will say? They'll say things might look bad. And what you need to focus on might look bad. But if you can focus enough, you'll have your success. Have you heard funny things like that? It's sad, but it happens. It's sad, but it happens. So people in the moral school of thought try to look for some moral idea in every particular scripture some moral idea something to something to take you know for more for their morals something to take for their devotion as well and from what you hear me say is this a right approach to the story of the bible no very important that you see this I, I mean, I, I've seen people use the Bible to explain, oh my God. Have you seen someone that is watching, is watching a movie and is showing you the scriptural backings to Hollywood? 
So people can go from scripture that Big Brother is a good idea. Wow. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged, David. You see? So people can prove to you anything. The best type of investments. Are there applications of the word of God? Yes, there are applications of the word of God, but even application is discovered. <laughs> Hallelujah. The next school of thoughts is the allegorical school of thoughts. The allegorical school of thought or allegorical interpretation of the Bible. And people in this allegorical school of thought or allegorical, people who practice allegorical interpretation of the Bible interpret the Bible as always having a second level of meaning beyond the actual people, places, and events that were mentioned. People who use the allegorical interpretation always interpret the Bible as having a second level of meaning beyond the actual people, places, and events that were mentioned. So they always believe that there is a hidden spiritual meaning to every text of scripture. So when you see people, anytime you read a particular text, they are like, wow, did you see? I just got something deep. These people are very good with patterns. Have you seen people connect scriptures that should not be connected? Ah! Yes, <laughs> God! They connect scriptures that shouldn't be connected. They, there is, they always try to find a deep spiritual meaning to everything. And so what the original writer... So they believe that there's always a hidden spiritual meaning to every text of scripture. And what the original writer is trying to say is totally ignored. So what they do is, yes, he said this. But that was not what he was trying to say. So, they, they, they imply certain things. And, and from the name, allegorical interpretation, you can understand what I mean there. Um, allegories. Allegories are stories or, or pictures that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. Are you with me? So, uh, there are artworks where when you look deeper, you see something else. Right? Those are, you know, allegories. So, it is very important that you see the error in this. Because for them, every single thing... I'll give you an example. And allegories go hand in hand with um, typology, um, symbolic interpretation. Typology I've explained to you before as, um, you know, when I explain types and shadows in camp meeting, I've explained typologies before. Of something being like the way you say a shadow, when light shines on a particular object, it casts a shadow. The shadow is not the original thing. Are you with me? It is just a figure of that thing, it's just a representation of that thing. So when light shines on it, you need to see the real thing and not the shadow. So that's the idea. They try to see symbols in it. And yes, there are allegories in the Bible, but is everything in the Bible an allegory? No. For example, I heard someone once interpret to me what happened in the Garden of Eden. 
and said the fruit there was an allegory for sex. What? That they ate it out of disobedience. And that's why God got angry. How? How do you substantiate such ideas? You know the thing, some of you have heard this before, but you are not even able to defend your points to show them wrong. Listen, if there is no standard for the interpretation of the Bible, people can say things like this and get away with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? People can say things like this and get away with it. People can prove to you from the Bible that Jesus is a woman and, you, and they'll get away with it if there's no principle. Are you with me? So, I'll give you another example of, of, of something someone has said to me before. And this one sounds nice. So imagine someone is preaching and he's like, right now you need to see that certain things God was going to do in the New Testament, he shadowed in the old. Hallelujah. They will not make their voice a little bit, you know, hush. They will not be breathing well. You know what I'm saying? So you see that when Christ, you know, has been, he, he has been promised from the foundations of the world. And so when you look into, into Eden, you see God shadowing things. And so they ate the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the tree of life was there. What is that tree of life? It is Jesus. Oh, what is that tree of life? It is Jesus. And that's how when you eat the tree, now in the New Testament, you have eternal life. Oh my God, someone say hallelujah. But all I just said, someone say amen. And all I just said now is rubbish. It is rubbish. It is rubbish. Because it sounds sweet to think that God said not to eat of it. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God separated them from eating the tree of life. Good, you might now try and make it sound good that since it's the tree of life, God intended for them to eat it and be saved. But there are, there are theological implications to statements like that. And I'll tell you why. Because if you say that the tree of life is Jesus, and salvation comes from Jesus, it means that you, you are literally implying that there was once a time where God shielded man from salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'll explain to you better. The theological implication of statements like this is that you, will, you, you, you are implying that there was once a time where God separated what he planned from man away from man. So, he, he withheld salvation from man because he could have given him that to it. There are so many other theological implications to it. So, if the Bible does not say it, you cannot hold it to be that. Are you with me? If the Bible does not say that is what it is, you cannot hold it to be that. They want to find a deeper spiritual meaning to every single thing. So the Bible says it's 3 o'clock that something happened. They will tell you the implication of 3 o'clock and find a pattern to it. That's not the right way to interpret the Bible. So there has to be where to draw the line. There has to be somewhere where you just know that, see, at this point, you cannot cross this point. And so one important tip that can help you is that what the Bible doesn't call a shadow, a type, or a symbol should never be called one. What did I say? What the Bible never calls a shadow, a type, or a symbol should never be called one. 
And this is important. Like I said, yes, there are allegories, there are symbols, but not everything in the Bible is one as the allegorical interpretation supposes. I'll go to the next school of thought now. The next method of, method of interpretation I want to mention is the literal school of thought or literal interpretation. And this approach interprets the text according to its plain or literal meaning. What did I, what did I say? This approach interprets the text according to its plain or literal meaning or according to the grammatical construction or historical context. So, it, it puts together all of these things. First of all, the plain or literal meaning, grammatical construction, historical context, and the intention of the author. So, the literal meaning is held in correspondence to the intention of the author at all time. That's why it's literal. It doesn't go outside what the author implies at any point in time. The literal meaning has the literal interpretation has nothing to do with the interpreter's thoughts and ideas. Did you get that? Yes, sir. It has nothing to do with the interpreter's thoughts and ideas. And so if it is literal, the interpreter would never call anything an allegory unless it is implied by the writer. Do you see that? Because it takes what the writer is implying as what it is based on grammatical construction, based on um, um, the, 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 the plain way it was spoken, based on the historical context, and based on the intention of the author. So other ones that I, that I just want to mention at the side, we have anagogical or mystical interpretation. You know, this seeks to explain biblical events as they relate to, as they prefigure, <laughs> you know, the afterlife. You know, and that's very distinct. Um, there, there's, there's a school of thought where some people take everything devotional as well. You can put that maybe under moral. And then there's the liberal school of thought as well. I just want to mention it in passing. Um, there are popular ones and then there are some that are subjective, right? So that are not subjective, sorry, that are under. So um, in the liberal, they, they, want, they believe that the human intellect is enough, you know, to judge what is true from what is false in the Bible. So they want to see logic in everything in the Bible. Anything that doesn't make sense to them, um, they don't accept in, in, in Bible. They don't believe in allegories. They don't, you know, they believe, they don't believe in, in any other thing being the judge. They don't believe in scriptures being the judge of them. They believe in being the judge of scriptures. That's how they live. So, um, you know, and it leads to different ideas like that's your interpretation. That's my interpretation, you know. Unfortunately, a lot of denominations subscribe to this. You know, it's sad. But a lot of, of denominations subscribe to this. There's a, there's, a, there's a pressing liberal move in our, in our day, you know, that has, that, is gaining, that has been gaining strong ground, you know. But yeah. But for everything I've said, which of this makes the most sense? As a good Bible student, which of these, and from what I've taught you, which of these makes, which of these should a good Bible student subscribe to? Literal. 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 Why? Because the literal school of thoughts interprets the text according to its plain or literal meaning, according to grammatical construction, 
historical context and the intention of the author. The literal school of thought strives to understand the mind of the writer, the intention of the author. So unless we are clearly stated that something is an allegory, you stick to interpreting the text according to its plain and literal meaning. And so like I said last week, biblical interpretation is not created, it is discovered. And a good approach, not even a good, the best approach for biblical interpretation is the literal interpretation. You see, you can have a deep understanding of what was written and call it revelation. But what you are calling revelation cannot be an understanding of what Paul wrote that was not what Paul meant. That's error. That's not revelation. You see, some people pick the text of scripture and say, I got a, a, a deeper revelation to this. If your deeper revelation is an understanding of what he wrote, which is not what he meant, it's not the revelation, it's error. Are you with me? It is what? It is error. Error. Biblical interpretation has to be objective. What many people do today falls under some of the categories I've listed above. But there are guidelines to studying the Bible that keep you from error. There are guidelines. For example, under the literal school of thought, under the literal interpretation, you consider the, the historical context of writing when you are interpreting a scripture of text. And so you would see that when you read a passage in the epistles, for example, one of Paul's um, writings, and he says something in a particular place, it is not enough to take out that scripture and give it to your personal interpretation. Why? By historical context, you understand that when Paul wrote this, he was writing a letter. You see, the epistles were not, some of the epistles and many of Paul's writings were not written in chapters and in verses, they were written as letters. And so it will be wrong to pick the middle of a letter and take the word for it without interpreting it in line with the whole letter that he was writing. Are you with me? I give you a, an example. Sir. Imagine I'm writing a letter to you guys, to the Catholic Fellowship. And in the Catholic Fellowship, we have Certain men have divided you into group, groups, and a particular group are called black men. Are you following me? A particular group we call them we call them black. So there's group, yes, there's sir. black group, there's white group, there's green group. And so at the beginning of my letter to the Catholic Fellowship, I say to you, all Catalysts, <laughs> this is my letter. <laughs> I'm not in prison, but this is my letter from Ikorodu. I say to you. All black men should take heed and give up their wives. Now, reason being that maybe everybody that I put in, 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 in the black group probably are in a situation that warrants them divorcing their wives. And divorce is not, um, you know, something that the Bible talks about or supports. But I'm just using as an example. Now, all oh, is that before people say Mr. Michael said divorce your wife. All black men <laughs> cook for your wives. That's an example, right? And 
I'm like, did Mofe just say Ikorodo and prison at the same time? Yeah. Mofe, I will remove you from this fellowship now. <laughs> What's the son of? Sorry, sorry. Ah, now why? Nice, all of you. I can't call you anymore. Nice, nice. Don't worry. Out of Ikorodo comes light. You see that? Out of Nazareth came who? The Christ. Something good can come out. Catalyst fellowship. Me. <laughs> good. <laughs> so, anyways, and I'm like, see these guys. And I write in the letter, all black men do so, 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 and so. It would be wrong interpretation for you to now say everybody who is dark skinned should do what I said. Because that was not what I meant. Do you get? There's a context in my letter. At the beginning of the letter, maybe I divided them into groups. If you come at the end of the letter and pick out all black men and say, Mr. Michael is a racist, why will he call them black men? You are, you are doing, it sounds good. You, you almost sound accurate because I call them black men. But you are still wrong. It might sound sweet. It might be fighting for your feminism movement or racism or gender, whatever. It might sound nice. But if that's not what I intended, you've misinterpreted what I'm saying. Is that clear? And that's what the literal interpretation helps you do. You seek to discover my mind. You seek to discover why I was writing it. Was there and was there something happening? I give you a biblical example. In Corinthians, when Paul started to address the concept of, of head covering, he said something in the first few verses. He said, the man is the head of the woman. And he said, Christ is the head of the man. Listen, he has made that available for you as a reference. So when he comes under and says, woman, cover your head. What is he talking about? Cover the man. He already said it. Are you with me? What many of us do is we pick the particular scripture and we take it out of context. He puts a reference for you and a guide on the top. The head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And so the simple interpretation of this can also come from your, your cultural understanding. In their days, the way you know that a woman is married is that she will cover her head in church. In your day, how do you know that a woman is married? Is it not a ring? Yes. In many cultures today, if a woman's husband has died, she will cut her head. Are you with me? It's a cultural thing. And so the literal interpretation would make you seek to understand what was happening. What was in the mind of the writer? Why did he write this? Are you seeing how methods of interpreting the Bible matter? They are very important. Very, very important. I have a lot to cover, so I'm going to move faster than I'm moving now. I have such very, very, very short time. So I'm just going to move faster. So this is important. If you pick a verse of scripture and claim to get a deeper revelation from it, which is not what the writer intended, you are wrong. Giving deeper meaning to every text of scripture does not make you deep. It makes you shallow. Because you are not interpreting it rightly. Some people just want to sound deep at every line that they make. So they give some deeper meaning, some deeper curve or angle to it. You are not deep. 
And some of us who don't know better will be shouting, Rema, 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 deep, deep, mm, 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 mm. What's smelling? Mm. What, what's smelling? Mm -mm. This is, I, I don't know. Hallelujah. I'm not mocking anybody. I've been, I've been here before. I've been there before too, so I, I know what I'm talking about. I with me. There's a joke my, my, my spiritual father makes. He said, if Paul is here today under some of you's teaching, Paul will take Bible and paper and he'll start writing. You'll be interpreting his own text, but you'll be writing him. Like, ah, I've never heard this before. <laughs> you know, I, I, wow. This is a discovery. Wow. Ah. <laughs> it's sad. You know, the writer does not know the interpretation I give it to the book. It's sad. Listen, a Bible teacher once said, a scripture can never mean today what it never meant. There are no new interpretations to the Bible. There are no new interpretations. The reason why you can get interpretation wrong is because there's a proper meaning. The person had an idea when he was writing it. If someone says what I'm about to teach you and explain from this verse, you've never heard it before, run away! Say, God gave me a newer revelation to this. <laughs> it's run away, oh. Newer revelation. Run away. Your safety is in scriptures, nothing new. Are you with me? Like I said, there might be diverse applications, and application is also to be sought. You know, it's not to be sought, but to be discovered. That's what I mean. So if you try too hard, you might get it wrong. Like the moral guys. You want to they, they want to cook, they will show you scriptures on how what amount, amount the amount of salt to that's not the reason for the Bible. They will give you scriptures on the amount of salt to put in the rice from scriptures. I have a friend that does that all the time. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> from where he chose us to make call to how to talk and everything is just insane. Now what? Uh, <laughs> it's sad because that's not the right way. You have to put diligence and use the right method to interpret the scripture. You need to see the Bible for what it really is. The primary purpose of the Bible is to teach you about Jesus and salvation. Nothing more. Stop telling us chemistry from the Bible. Physics Bible. Like I said, there are guidelines. For example, and this part I'm going into is very serious. My boss a lot of bubbles, but... Just follow me closely. There are guidelines. An example is this. Why is the Old Testament separate from the New Testament? You're reading through the Bible. You see the separation. Why is the Old Testament separate from the New Testament? Were the writers tired? Or maybe they, maybe they wanted to give white spacing for aesthetics. Designers, you know white spacing. They just wanted to give white space. Just... You know, let's aesthetically just, uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> hey, hey, people know what I'm talking about. Why, why is that white page there? Why is that white page there? Some of you have never questioned it. Some of you think it's there because they were writing around their style. Just say, let's just put white line here so that they will rest. We will just rest and just we'll continue the writing later, you know. A lot of people don't have not, not even questioned. It's the same reason why, why is there genealogy in Matthew? Some of you have never read it. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and it's okay, it's okay. Don't mind me, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joking. But it's okay. 
I'm talking about that part in Matthew when you start reading Matthew and you see and this one begat, this one begat, this one begat, that one, that one, that one. There are reasons why it happened. I've explained this before when I was teaching you on, and I can't remember, I think it was not you guys, I think, I think it was you guys also I was teaching um, um, on the Christ, Christology. You know, it was at camp meeting I explained this, where I said that he needed to prove that Jesus Christ is from the line of David. Why? Because he was Matthew was writing to a Jewish community who already had the prophecy of a Messiah who is going to come of the seed of David. So why he wrote that genealogy was because he was trying to prove to them literally from the record of birth that that's the lineage of Jesus Christ. You see, so there are reasons, you know, we need to make diligence to search for them. That's what we need. Diligence. So why is it there? Why is the separation of the Old Testament from the New Testament there? What's the difference? You see, your approach from in studying the Old Testament has to be different from the one in studying the New Testament. Many people don't know. I remember the first time Alex and Amelia ever met me on how to study the Bible. You know, I paid them. Listen, this pairing I'm doing for you is important. Take advantage of it. Some of the people you are saying here that are mama and papa. Is this pairing that works for them? You know, they prayed together, they studied the Bible together. So one day they came to me and they asked me a question. You know, and they were like, where should they start reading the Bible from? And I said, I would suggest you start reading. If you start reading from Genesis, you get tired before you reach. <laughs> before you reach Chronicles. Before you reach Judges like this. You don't understand what's happening again. <laughs> so I said, start reading, start reading from the New Testament. I said, probably start from Ephesians. And then they started from Ephesians, read the epistles. Then the epistles were leading them back to the Old Testament. And started. There's a reason, and I'll explain the reason. Listen, there's a different way you study the Old Testament. I'm sorry I'm going very fast, but because of time. There's a different way you study the Old Testament from how you study the New Testament. Hallelujah. If you go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, scripture says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, let me read that in NLT, Hoa's NLT version, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Can you put it in NLT? Alright, so he's posting it for us. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but were never, never able to provide the perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Now, look at this. The writer of Hebrew is saying that the law was a shadow. And when he talked about the law here, was he talking about the, the Ten Commandments? No. Many times when the, when the law is used in the New Testament, it used to refer to the whole of the Old Testament. Are you with me? So, when it says the law, it's, it, Moses wrote, you know, the, the, the first five. He wasn't even talking about just that. He was talking about the whole, Old Testament, the whole of the Old Testament. So, he was talking about Old Testament books. And he calls it a shadow of things to come. Why would you just summarize the whole Old Testament and say it's a shadow? And many people don't even know that it's a shadow. So now the writer of Hebrews is saying, it's a shadow of things to come. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 25. Luke 24 and 25. How many of you know this story? Jesus on the way to Emmaus. Right? He appeared to them. They were talking about him. And what does he say in verse 25? He says, Then he said unto them, All foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? That is, have you not seen the prophets written about this Messiah you are talking about that has died? 
Can't you believe what they've said about him? He says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's the whole canon of the Old, of the Old Testament. Beginning at Moses, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, and the prophets, the last book. Beginning at Moses, you see, the canon of, of, of scriptures shows you uh, uh, um, the, the books or, or the books of Moses, it shows you the Psalms, the, the, the um, and Proverbs, and it shows you the prophets. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's the whole of the Old Testament. What did he say happened to that? It says, he expounded to them in all scripture, all things concerning who? Himself. About himself. Right. So Jesus, on a uh, three, three hours and above journey, picked up the Old Testament and started showing them all concerning himself about the Old Testament. Listen, the shadow in, 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 in Hebrews there is the Greek word skia, which implies sketch. Are you with me? Shadow there is the Greek word skia. It implies sketch. So when the writer of Hebrews says that the law, that is the Old Testament, is a shadow, it says it's a sketch of things which are to come. That is, it gives us a picture of what the real image will be like. Listen, you don't see a sketch of a chair and see that on the sketch of a chair because it's only a sketch. That's what many of us try to do. That's all the, the Jews were trying to do. They were trying to hold on the, to the sketch. Like the analogy I gave, if you shine a light on a surface, it casts a shadow. The shadow is not the real thing. It is pointing you to the real thing. Are you with me? So, when you see this, you understand that the Old Testament was covering something. Are you with me? It was a way for them to serve all the good things which was to come. And so, in interpreting the Old Testament, you must rely on the New Testament. Why? Because the New Testament is the explanation of that Old Testament. Do you get it? Yes, sir. it the Old Testament was a sketch of what was going to happen in the New. Are you with me? So, interpretation of the Bible is done backwards. Do you see why I told them to read Ephesians first? Because interpretation is done backwards. Because you read the meaning of what was being told in the shadow. By reading the revelation, you understand the shadow. Is that clear? Yes, sir. If you don't see the proper construct of the Bible here, you will find it hard to interpret it. So when you read the New Testament, you read it as a revelation. Some of you still go to the New Testament to find mysteries. Why? Interpretation is done backwards. Let the New Testament explain the old. Listen, from the substance of the new, you would understand the shadow in the old. Is that clear? Yes, sir. I give you an example. I've tried my best to give as many examples as possible through you know, this teaching for your proper understanding. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 to 18. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 to 18. It says that in blessing, I would bless thee. In multiplying, and this was God talking to who here? Abraham, let's go on. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. I'm going to be claiming Bible scholars. I don't know who he's talking about. Abraham, <laughs> sir. I will multiply their seed as the star of heaven and the sand and, and as the sand upon the seashore. He says, And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemy. And in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because what? Thou hast obeyed my voice. And so, someone is like, Okay. So in you all the nations shall be blessed. So I'm blessed. 
And then some of you come to the Old Testament and you are looking for money or wealth. Since I'm blessed. And then you see nothing talking about when they say blessings of Abraham. Yeah, you are not seeing the money, you are not seeing the wealth in the New Testament. Ah, what's happening? What's the interpretation? And then you go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. He says, Now this is Paul writing. Paul is saying, In the same way Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. He says, the real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. He says, what more? The scriptures looked forward to a time. When what will happen? When God will make the Gentiles right at his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago. When he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. Do you see Paul quoting Genesis? It says, so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing that Abraham received because of faith. Oh my God, isn't this, isn't this mind-blowing? That when God told Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He was prophesying of a people who by faith will receive the same provision of righteousness by faith. So the blessing he was talking about there was no financial blessing or wealth. He was talking about what? Righteousness by faith. Is this clear? Who is this not clear to? I want you to understand this. Very clear. Right? This is, this, this is important to see. What wasn't clear then became clear in the new. This is so important. If you go to the Old Testament, there are some things you would see. When you look closely, it says, I will multiply thy seed as the star of the heaven. It says, in thy seed, all the nations of the earth. Paul made several arguments about this to explain what he was saying. So take this down, everybody. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I take that again. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament. Is the Old Testament revealed? You know, you see why there are different approaches to studying both of them. Are you with me? This is so crucial. Yes, sir. You go to the New Testament epistles to understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament is referred to as mystery. The Greek word here for mystery is what? It's monsterion. Listen, monsterion. You can easily think the fact that the Old Testament is called... Can I repeat what? What I just said now. Okay. So I said you go to the New Testament epistles to understand the Old Testament. Right? So I said the Old Testament is referred to as a mystery. And the Greek word for mystery is monsterion. Now, there's a, you can fall to begin to think that mystery there means something that cannot be discerned or cannot be understood. But that's not true. Because mystery here, being the, the Greek word there, is monsterion. It doesn't mean something that cannot be understood. Listen, the actual picture for monsterion is holding somebody's mouth like this. It's, it's a mouth that is shut up for a particular time to be revealed later. Are you with me? 
So, yes, when the Old Testament is called a mystery, it's not because it is undiscernible. It is because it is kept a secret for an appointed time. It is destined to be revealed. It is not just revealed now. You see, we popularly think, we, we, we commonly can think that, you know, it's hard to understand. It cannot be understood. It's a mystery. And we, 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 we popularize this idea of it being a mystery. But it's not a mystery. In the English sense of, of a mystery, it's a mystery, mysterion, to be revealed at an appointed time. Are you with me? The writer of Hebrews calls it a shadow. He's not saying you cannot understand it. He's saying it's a secret to be understood later. Is that clear? So the Old Testament is called the mystery, but the New Testament is called the revelation of the mystery. Is that clear? This has to make sense to you. Because God's idea is not to be mysterious to us. His idea is not to be mysterious to us. Hebrews 1.1 It says, God in various times and in time past revealed himself to our fathers through the prophets. In these last days, how has he revealed himself to us? Through his son. Before, they did not know. He was invisible. Mysterious, mysterious God. You could not see him. Invisible God, a miracle worker. You are what you Lord. You could not see him. But now, it's no longer a mystery. The plan was not to remain a mystery. The plan is that at the appointed time, it will be revealed. Hallelujah. Some people have held on to this idea of him being a mystery so much so that it has affected the way they understand the Bible. They think the Bible cannot be understood. It is encoded. And so in modern day church today, we still want to glorify mystery and say you cannot understand it is deep, it's a mystery. No! Stop complicating the matters and calling it a mystery when it is no longer a mystery. Hallelujah. You see some people say, what, what I'm getting from this scripture is so deep, it's a, it's a mystery. Then people begin to put in barriers and say they cannot understand it because it's a mystery. That's a lie. Because the Bible is saying something different. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you all there? Listen, this is going to bless you. This is going to What ends at the beginning of this teaching is so important. It's going to change your life, your devotion, how you approach the Bible and how you study it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, read verse 12. It says, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use what? Great plainness of speech. If Paul used great plainness of speech, you must use great plainness of speech. Yes. Why are you trying to encode what Paul is explaining? Why are you trying to look for mystery where there are no mysteries? Moses used veil. To cover his face. Moses hid it with shadows. But Paul said that they come with great plainness of speech. Are you with me? Moses used types and shadows. But God in Christ is revealed. Are you with me? This is important. Listen, any teaching that presents a God who is mysterious in the New Testament is not the New Testament preaching. I take that again. Any teaching that presents a mysterious God is not a New Testament gospel. Because in the New Testament, God is revealed to us in Christ. You must always appreciate clarity. That's the ministry of Christ. You must always appreciate what? Clarity. 
Look at Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. You need to come to a place where you see the Bible as understandable. Romans 16 and verse 25. Now unto him that is of that, that, that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Christ. And, and the reason why I called it his gospel there is not because he's the one that brought the gospel, but because he's, he's the master builder who laid the foundation for the truth of God. Are you with me? So he says, Now he who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, he says, according to the revelation of what? Of the mystery kept secret since the world began. Are you, are you seeing this? According to what? The revelation of the mystery kept secret. What we see today is people who through their teachings still want to veil things that have already been revealed. People now begin to think that the revelation is only for some people. You know, there was a time where I searched, oh my God, I searched for mysteries. Because I felt like there was some certain thing I had to do to have a certain understanding. That, I mean, diligence is it. But I thought it was some mystical, mysterious things. So I was always searching for some divine inspiration to give me understanding to mysteries. And it's sad. Because this is the mindset that many people have. They've come to, under, to, come, they've come to see scripture as something that is not open to everybody. Some mysteries are reserved for some people in some certain levels. That's not true. Are you with me? Every New Testament teaching unpacks the Old Testament. And when the Old Testament is unpacked, you must see Jesus at the center. This is important. Jesus is the central theme of the Bible. He says, you put through scriptures in them, you think you find eternal life. He says, they are them who testify of me. He says, beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he expounded all concerning himself to them. It's a popular thing I, I like to explain. I say the, 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 the Bible is a compendium of the plan, provision, and announcement of salvation. I take that again. The Bible is a compendium of the plan, the provision, and the announcement of salvation. That's the central thing. You must follow the idea. It was God's plan to save us. He had planned it. He started to, 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 you know, to give it to them and show them in certain types. Then the prophets began to prophesy. Do you know how many prophecies of Jesus Christ, the way he was going to die was prophesied, his virgin birth was prophesied, he was going to be nailed on the cross was prophesied, he was going to be crucified among thieves, he was prophesied. Choose it as a plan. Then you see the provision in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you see the announcement in the epistles, Acts down to the epistles. Are you with me? Yes, sir. You must see the true construct of the Bible. He's the central theme. It was hidden before. They did not know that it was Jesus that was coming in the Old Testament. Oh, but listen. He was the one the law and the prophet spoke about. Now it is revealed. Hallelujah. Now it is what? Revealed. revealed. Verse 26, it says, verse 26 of Romans 16, it says, but now is made manifest and by scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, it says, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. What was hidden is made known to the, for the obedience of faith. Are you with me? 
You see, Paul saying scriptures is made known. So even Paul's writing was not from a spiritual source or an angel. I told you last week how that Paul encountered God and, and Jesus, and Jesus still told him to go meet Ananias. Cornelius was told to send for Peter. Are you with me? So the apostles brought plainness of, of, of with plainness of speech brought the explanations to the mysteries. First Corinthians chapter two and verse seven. First Corinthians chapter two and verse seven. It says, "But we speak the wisdom of God in a what." Are you following me? I always do this so that I'll catch the person that is here. In a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained from the foundation of the world, that is, which God ordained before the world, unto our glory. Verse 8 says what? Which none of the princes of this world knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So now, what is this mystery? It says we are speaking the wisdom of God in a mystery. What is this mystery? Verse 9, everybody. It says, But as it is written, eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God prepared for them that love him. And, you know, popularly, you know, many people have used this scripture to interpret things differently. Eyes have not heard, ears have not heard, have not heard. So, something, sorry, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. You know, so something is about to happen to you. Maybe you buy a car, and then, you know, you're like, Pastor, I got a car. And your pastor says, eyes have not seen. Yes, I've not heard. It has not what God has planned for you. You will buy a Range Rover. The devil thinks he can see. He cannot see it. You know, and that's been the popular interpretation. But that's wrong. Because in the context of what we are reading, he's talking about the revelation of mysteries. As it is written in scriptures. Next time, when they tell you eyes have not seen, read verse 10 to them. says, but God has revealed it to us. <laughs> By his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. They respond like that. They will not pray the prayer like that for you again. Are you with me? But you must see what he's really talking about here. He's saying, What was a mystery before? And what is that mystery? You need to see what that mystery is. It's the gospel, the message of Christ. The fact that there will be salvation. He says, It, it says, has not entered. The heart of man, what God prepared for those that he loves. He says, one of the princes of this world knew, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the devil knew that it was God's plan to use the death of Jesus Christ as propitiation for all our sins, he would not have killed Jesus. They thought they were ending the plan by killing him. They did not know that by killing him, they were fulfilling the plan. <laughs> Are you with me? They didn't, that we call it the genius of God, that in the death of Christ, the justice of God and what the mercy of God meets. How? That God had to punish sin. The wage of sin is what? Is death. Are you with me? So, God had to punish sin. And how? By something called substitutionary atonement. I'm sorry I'm using big, big English. Is that someone took our place to die on our behalf. Are you with me? So, they did not understand what it was. But when Jesus died, he took my sin. He paid the price of my sin. They didn't understand it. That, that's the genius of God. That in the redemptive work, the mercy and justice of God meet. God had to be just so he had to punish sin. But he had to be loving. So he had to find a way for us to be saved. So what did he say? He says, I love them, but they have to be punished for their sin. 
What am I going to do? Someone is going to pay for their sin so that the justice is met. But in paying for their sin, I'm showing them my love. Does that make sense to you? They didn't understand this. It was a mystery then. They didn't get it. They always knew that salvation was going to come. They didn't know how it was going to come. It was a mystery. But now, it is what? It is revealed. Hallelujah. Yeah. Man. Listen, it's a season of discernment, not a season of mystery. It's a regime of the spirit and of revelation, not a regime of mysteries. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We, we, we read 3, okay, we read 3.18. We already read it, we read a part of it before. And 18 is very important. 18 says, But we all, with open faces, as in a glass, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are what? We are changed into the same image from glory to glory. So listen, in the previous verses, he was talking about the ministration of death. He was talking about Moses, what Moses did. He said Moses veiled their faces. Are you with me? If you go to the, the, the top, in verse 13, it says, in verse 12, saying that we come with such great plainness of speech, it says, not as Moses, who put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel will not be able to look at his face. You see that? It was shadowed before. Moses used shadows. It says, but their minds were blind, blinded, and until this same day remained the veil on taking away when you reach the Old Testament. You see that the Old Testament is veiled. It says, but what? The veil is done away. In who? In Christ. It says, even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heads. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Some of you use this scripture for freedom from chain. It's talking about liberty in Revelation. Liberty in Revelation. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is liberty. I see with open face, beholding the image of God. I see what was hidden. I see the mystery revealed now. Hallelujah. Amen. Some of you, there's no chair for you to sit on. You're already on the floor. I know you intend to break this too, but everything is just falling. I can see your faces. <laughs> Why in the dispensation of clarity? Stop seeking after mysteries. Stop seeking after realms. Stop seeking after portals. Why in the dispensation of clarity? The word of God is clear. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. Listen, this is a teaching that you need to listen to. <laughs> and everyone who is a Catholic fellowship needs to listen to it. I've taken my time to prepare you before this. So they've given me the topic now. The Bible can be understood. That's a good topic, have you? The Bible can be understood. So you can title this teaching, The Bible Can Be Understood. Ephesians 3.1 It says, For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, I'm still going to teach you how to interpret the Bible. I'm going to use one method here to show you what I'm talking about, but let's go on. It says, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you what? Which is given me to you what? Verse 3 says, How that by revelation... He made known unto me the what? The mystery. So, the mysteries have been revealed to who? To the apostles. Paul and the other apostles. Christ taught them. 
What do you think Christ was doing with them after he resurrected? For how many days? Even before his death, what do you think he was doing with them? He says, how that by revelation, and many people don't see this when you read this place. He says, by revelation, he has made known unto me the mystery, as I did what? Hey, listen to me. If Paul says that the mystery is what he wrote in a few words, it means that Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the revelation of the mystery. You don't get it. I will explain again. Even in Ephesians chapter, you need to see the Bible for what it truly is. If Ephesians chapter 3, hope nobody's head is hot. Okay. If Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, if you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, let me read it in NLT so that people's head will hot become so that. Exactly. Let me just read it in NLT. It says, as even by the way you know, God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I wrote briefly earlier, it says, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you would understand my insights into this plan regarding Christ. Do you see that? So, in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul was explaining the mystery of Christ. Are you with me? Let me give you context to this. The Ephesian church were, 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 were um, a Gentile church. And before now, Gentiles were not people who believe, who, were not people who salvation was promised to. Salvation was for the Jews. And when I'm saying Gentiles, don't think of Gentiles as far people. You are a Gentile. You are a Nigerian. As long as you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. <laughs> so, uh, before, uh, Jews come. <laughs> Now, salvation was promised to Jews. Gentiles had no hope for salvation. But Paul was writing and he was saying that, listen, Gentiles, God has planned, look at verse 6, he explains it. He says that Gentiles will be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise. So that's why they fought with Peter for going to preach the gospel to Cornelius because they didn't believe that Gentiles should be saved. But God had planned since when he told Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the world be blessed, that both Jews and Gentiles shall be blessed in Christ Jesus. Nobody would be, nobody would be saved by their works, but by believing in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is called the light to the Gentiles. Because without Jesus Christ, Gentiles had no hope. If you are a Gentile and you think by works you'll be saved, works was never going to even save you. Your only hope was Jesus. The Jews were even holding on to the law. The law was the law ever applied to Gentiles. Are you with me? So, what was happening there was this. Paul was saying that what is the mystery? The mystery was that it was hidden before now that Gentiles were going to be a partaker. Let me explain what he said. Ephesians chapter 2. He says, You are the quicken who were dead in trespasses. He says, In time passing, walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this earth, the power that works in children of disobedience. He says, That was your lot as Gentiles. You were leading to death, you were leading to error. He says, Amongst also who we had our conversation in time past. He says in verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy for his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are we saved. That's the mystery. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1 is the mystery again. He says, chapter, chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly. He says, according as he has chosen us, that is, listen, he has chosen you from the foundations of the world. Before you knew you needed salvation, he has chosen you to be holy and blameless before him in love. That this is the mystery. They did not know. But this is his explanation of that mystery. Hope nobody's lost. This is his explanation of that mystery. In verse 5, he says, He has predestinated us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are you with me? Unto adoption of children. There's a reason why I use the word adoption. He was talking to Gentiles. It says, Unto the adoption of children. By who? By Jesus Christ. He says, Wherein he had abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. He says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. You see the word mystery. He has made it known. The mystery of his will. As of his will has been made known. There was that in, in chapter 10, the dispensation of the fullness of time, that is when it is the appointed time, he will gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth. He says in verse 11, in whom also we have obtained the inheritance, being predestinated to the purpose of him that worked all things after his own counsel. Do you see that? God has planned to be the savior of both Jews and Gentiles. That was the mystery. It says, in whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. After you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. He used the word sealed for a reason. It says, which is the earnest of spirit. He was trying to show them what was hidden, God's plan. It says, you received the Holy Ghost of spirit. Is the earnest. Earnest means down payment. The down payment, listen, he was trying to argue the theology of their salvation. He was proving it to them, the mystery. That now you have the Holy Ghost. It is a down payment of eternal life. If the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus dwells in you, he will raise you. Gentiles, don't be scared of missing, or don't be scared of missing heaven. Because you already have heaven in you, the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Are you getting the mystery he's explaining? In chapter 1 and 2, he did due diligence to give them an explanation to the mystery. So what are you supposed to do as a good Bible student? Read the epistles to understand the mysteries. When you read Paul's writing and you read the writings of the apostles, you understand their understanding in the mystery. What they wrote is no longer a mystery. It's the understanding of mystery. It's the revelation of mystery. If Paul believed that you could not understand it, he would not write this letter to the whole efficient church. He wrote it to them regardless of your understanding and your level. Because he knew, he says, read when you read my word, you understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. At whatever stage and standard you are, it was written for you to be understood. The person who wrote it intended for you to understand it, not to confuse you. Listen, what we are going to talk about next week is so powerful. This brings us to a place where we see that every barrier in biblical interpretation is man-made. Because the writer intended for you to understand it. So any barrier that is stopping you from understanding it is man-made. Pray in the language of the Holy Ghost wherever you are. Randy I'm a diligent student of God's word.